Our Lord Jesus Christ, we take this moment to bow before your throne, clear our minds and clear our hearts. There are people in the room this morning that come here with pain and suffering on their hearts today. Lord, we pray that you would comfort them this morning. Or there are people that come here today that are just full of joy and full of uh, just excitement about the Christmas season. Lord, we pray that you would inspire them this morning. Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage this morning to look deep into our hearts. And that whatever you would surface there, that we would be willing to own, to repent, to confess and to move forward in our relationship with you. And so, Lord, we just take this time, we pray these things now, in Jesus' name, amen. Some of you uh, may remember a number of years ago, hey, maybe it's the drums back here, guys. I think that's what I'm hearing, is the drums. So as I talk, they're playing back here, (laughs) rattling. So if you could fix that, I'd appreciate that. A number of years ago, some of you may remember uh, a movie called As Good As It Gets. Anybody remember that movie? Okay. So the actress in that movie, a woman by the name of Helen Hunt, was, uh, she, she had this guy who was in love with her. And, his, you know, of course, it was Jack Nicholson, okay? And he plays this character who is an agoraphobic, obsessive-compulsive, terminally offensive uh, older man. And at one point, point in the movie, uh, she is just so, she's racked by ambivalence toward Nicholson, um, but she finally kind of begins to think, you know, maybe, maybe there's something here, and she just cries out to her mother. She says, I just want a normal boyfriend, and her mother says, oh, everyone wants one of those. There's no such thing, dear. <laughs> I think I could probably get an amen if I asked for one for the ladies on that. Uh, It's true. There are no normal boyfriends. There are also no uh, no normal husbands. There are no normal men in general. Uh, But I'd like to say in fairness that there are no normal girlfriends or wives or women either. Can I get an amen from the men on that? In reality, nobody. No one is normal. Let's just go ahead and get that out there. I'm not normal. You know, my wife's not my wife's really not normal, and, and nobody here is, is normal, which is the very thing that makes the element of a powerful church that we're going to talk about today so incredibly difficult. As most of you know, we're in this series in which we're asking, what makes a powerful church? And as you just saw in the bumper video, as you can see on the front of the program that you got when you came in, the overarching answer to that question is represented in that graphic. A powerful church is not made up of a bunch of individuals who just happen to come to the same church on Sunday, and then they go home. A powerful church is made up of a collective we, a unified collective we. And to that end, this morning, we're going to talk about the third element of our vision statement, community, which, though it's not explicitly stated in our vision statement, it is implied by it. Last week, we talked about our commitment to the city. The week before that, we talked about the gospel that drives our vision statement. Today, we're going to talk about community. By the way, some of you may be surprised that I'm not doing a Christmas 
uh, message this morning, I'll do that on Christmas Eve. So if you want a good Christmas message, you've got to come on, on Christmas Eve. I want to read our vision statement this morning together. Would you read it with me? The vision of City Church is to bring spiritual, social, and cultural renewal to the city of Evansville and beyond through a movement of people who are being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there it is, a movement of people who are being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's implicit in our uh, vision statement. And then also, if you just look around to the sides of the room for just a moment, you'll notice on each side of the room there are four banners. The first one says believe. We're talking about believe in Jesus Christ there. And then the second one says experience community. And then along with those you see unlearn and, and change the city. Okay? We want to challenge you to experience community. But let's just admit it that as Western people, uh, as American people who idolize the idea of individualism, everything about us moves away from community. And by community, you know, I'm I'm not talking about the community out there this morning. We talked about that last week. I'm talking about the people in here at City Church, building deep and growth stimulating relationships with other people who believe in Christ and want to be transformed by the gospel. Everything about us moves away from that. It's difficult to build those kinds of relationships. It's scary for a lot of people. And oh my goodness, when you start to get to know people at a deep level, and you find very quickly that they're not normal. And so it makes it very difficult to have a relationship with them. And yet what I want to show you this morning is that being part of a community of believers and building deep relationships with them is inexorably tied to believing in Jesus Christ. They're inseparable. You cannot separate community from believing in Jesus Christ. And I want to show you why. If you have a Bible, I'd like you to turn with me in it again to the prophet Isaiah. We're going to look at chapter 56. The prophet Isaiah, uh, chapter 56, is in your Old Testament if you can't find it. If you have a hard copy, look it up in the table of contents. And if you have a digital copy, copy well, you can just go there to Isaiah chapter 56. Uh, while you're turning there, I do want to uh, just kind of tell you where we're going to go in the weeks ahead. We're going to take a break from this series for the next two weeks. Uh, I'm going out of town the day after Christmas, so Sean Little will preach the next two Sundays. He'll do a great job. And then I'll come back, and then we'll finish this series on the two weeks prior to moving into the new building. And then on the week that we move into the new building, we'll start a new series on marriage, and I'll tell you more about that later. That's where we're going. Let's start reading at verse 1. We'll, we'll read the first five verses. We'll read them, uh, you know, we'll read them all uh, at the same time, and then I'll break all of this down for you. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not not any eunuch complain. Anybody know what a, does everybody know what a eunuch is? If you don't know, a a eunuch is a, a man who has been castrated. Now, I'm not telling you that just to kind of go, you know, he, he, it's, there's, there's a significance to that, and you'll hear about that in just a moment. Let not any unit complain, I am only a dry tree. That's, of course, a metaphor. For this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, 
To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give, and here comes a little irony, let me just tell you, right? I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. A little irony. You can go ahead and laugh. God put it in his Bible, so a little irony there. There is some significance to it. I'll explain it to you in just a moment, but there is a little irony. Okay, here's my first point this morning. Uh, God has been working throughout human history to create a community of people who live together in perfect unity. Now, that's kind of long. I'm going to say it again. You can write it down if you want to in your notes. You can make a note of it on your, uh, you know, your phone or iPad or whatever you have. I'm going to say it again. God has been working throughout human history to create a community of people who live together in perfect unity. Now, I can imagine that you're wondering, where in the world do you get that from these verses? Well, I want you to look again at verse 1. Maintain justice, he says, and do what is right. And then if you were to skip down to verse 3, you would see that he talks about the foreigner, and he talks about the eunuch, and that they won't be excluded from God's people. See, all of this is about, this whole passage is about community. When, I, when Isaiah talks about justice, and when he talks about, what is do, about doing what is right, and when he talks about the Sabbath, he's referring here, and, and throughout this passage, to various aspects of the law that God gave to Israel back in the book of Exodus. Now, just think about this for a second. Why did he give them the law? Specifically, the the moral part of the law, summarized in the Ten Commandments. Well, he didn't give it to them just so that they would know how to live as an individual, right? It was about how to live in community with other people. So justice, well, that's about how you treat other people, right? And think about the command, for instance, to not covet another man's wife. Well, that's about how you treat other people, right? Or when when the law says, don't give false testimony, well, again... Who would you give false testimony about? Well, it would be another person. So Isaiah is, is telling Israel in this passage to live together as a human community with justice and love and peace and unity. Now why? Why is he telling them that? Well, because that's what God intended for humanity and that in way off into the future still, he will one day in the new heavens and the new earth bring about this new human community in ultimate form. One of my favorite authors says it this way. His name is Dallas Willard. He writes this. He says, God's aim in human history is the creation of an inclusive community of loving people with himself included as its primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. Okay? Now, I would suggest that that is probably a surprise to many of you because many of you have grown up thinking that God's aim has always been to get individual people saved. And and I agree that that is part of his plan, but that, getting individual people saved, is a means to an end. His end has always been about building a community of redeemed people that lives together in perfect unity. And I, I want to explain why I say that. It's going to take just a few minutes, but I promise you, uh, it'll, it, if you just hang with me, it's worth the payoff. So just hang with me here, okay? After Adam and Eve, uh, after they send in Genesis 3, well, in fact, let me just go back and let me say, Adam and Eve, God created Adam, he created Adam, and what does he say about Adam after he creates Adam? He says, it's not good for him to be alone. And so he creates Eve. 
And Adam and Eve were to keep their relationship centered around God. So that here, God was to be in the center of that, and they were to orbit around Him. And if they did that, then their relationship and all their relationships in the future would hang together. They would, be, they would live in perfect unity. But they decided that they didn't want to orbit around God. They wanted to be their own, uh, kind of their own universe. They wanted to be the center of the universe, not God. And so, in Genesis chapter 3... After that happened, this moment the theologians call the fall of humanity, all of their relationships began to disintegrate. You know, all of their kids, all of their descendants' relationships began to disintegrate. Why? Well, as I said, God created humanity to build their whole lives around Him. Think of it this way, okay? You can only have a solar system if there's just one center. If every planet wants to be the center, guess what happens? Planets collide, don't they? And likewise, if everyone is living a self-centered, me-centered life, human community, which we, were, which we desperately need and were created for, is impossible. It's just impossible. The result? Wars, racism, classism, chauvinism, terrorism, divorce, murder. Any of that sound familiar to you? Any of that sound familiar to you? life. Life as we know it. It's been that way ever since the fall. But God uh, was not content, is not content, to let us remain in our ruins. And so throughout history, starting with Abraham, God comes down into time and space at various important junctures, and he begins to rebuild human relationships. And each time he intervenes in time and space, he does so with a, with a more radical intervention. Now, this is cool. This is really cool. So you got to stick with me on this. He comes to, for instance, he starts with Abraham. He comes to Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and he says, I want to make your family into a great people who will one day live together in unity, in justice, in peace, and in love. The problem is this. They have no family. They have no kids. And she's 90 years old. Even Sarah gets a kick out of the idea that somehow God wants to use their descendants and build a great family out of them. She laughs. I mean, you would laugh too. Think about your, your grandma or your great-grandma having a baby at her age. That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Well, that's what Sarah thought. Yeah, good luck, she says. I can't have another child. And look at him. <laughs> but God intervenes, and guess what? Sarah has a baby. So he starts with them, and he says, I want to make you guys into a, fam- a great family. Okay. Then, a couple of centuries later, their descendants have become so numerous that God says to Moses, now I want to turn this family into a nation. Problem? They're enslaved to Egypt. So God intervenes in a greater way before and liberates them from slavery, and then after liberating them, he gives them the law which teaches them not only how to worship him, but, uh, but also how to live together in justice and peace and love. Okay? And then much later, God wants to form... So he, he started with a family, then he moved to a, a nation. Much later, he wants to form a, a, a new human community out of more than just one nation. Family, one nation, and now all nations. Okay? And so he comes to earth in the form of a human being, Jesus Christ... Jesus Christ dies and then raises again. And in so doing, he creates this thing called the church. 
a community of people made up of Jews and Gentiles, in other words, all the nations of the world, and he gives us uh, something that Israel never had, the Holy Spirit, a supernatural person that would enable his people by living inside of them to live together in unity. Not perfect unity. Like we don't, okay, what churches have you ever known that live together in perfect unity? Like none, right? Like it just seems very hard to do that. But we can do it some, just not in perfect unity. There was, there was an old story uh, about a guy who was uh, cast away for 20 years uh, on this island that he had been living on alone. When he was finally rescued, he gave his rescuers, um, he gave them like a tour of the island, and they noticed that there were all these little makeshift buildings that he had built uh, all over the island. And they asked him what they were, and he said, oh, well, you know, that building, that's, that, that one's where I slept, and... And, uh, and then that, that's when, that one's where I ate, and, and then that one's where I went to church. And they said, that's great, but there's still one more building left. What is that? He said, oh, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> Churches have not lived together in perfect unity, that's for sure. Okay? But Isaiah prophesies that later, in, ch- in chapter 65, he prophesies about a day far off in the future when God will intervene one last time. And he will create a new heavens and a new earth. And then every relationship on earth will be healed. Man and God, that relationship will be healed. Man and man, man and woman, that relationship will be healed. And then man and nature, that relationship will will be healed. Now, as I said all of that, can you see the pattern? Do you see the pattern? He starts with a family. Then he says, I want to turn the family into a nation. And then he says, I want to reach more than just one nation. I want to reach all the nations. And then one day he's going he's gonna to heal everything perfectly so that we can all live together in perfect unity. And each time he intervenes a little, in, in a little more of a radical way, each time. And, and each time he reconstitutes the community in a new and more radical way as well. That's the pattern, okay? It's never been about... God has always wanted... To bring people into community. It's never been about just saving individuals. It's always been about community. Now what all of this means is that when God calls you into a relationship with him, he's not calling you into an individualistic life. If you come to church just to be inspired and then go home without putting yourself deeply into this new community, you are frustrating, and I'll say it even a little bit stronger, you are perverting God's plan for your life to be in deep community. You're making it just about you. He always wanted it to be about you in community. Okay? And if you're not doing that, if you're not investing yourself deeply into community here, then I'm going to tell you something. You will not experience the radical life change that God wants to bring about in your life. He does that always in the context of community. You can't change yourself in any meaningful way. Uh, you can't. Uh, go ahead and try it. It won't work. You need other people who are being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and his grace if you're going to be changed in any meaningful way. And so if all you're doing here at City Church, or any other church for that matter, if all you're doing is showing up and going home, you're not being part 
of the community that God has been working throughout all of history. Adam and Eve, Abraham, okay? the nation of Israel, the church, and then one day, the new city, uh, the new heavens, the new earth, where all, where all relationships will be healed. Okay? If, you're not inve- if you're not investing in community, then you're not being part of what God has been working through all of history to create. In fact, all you are, if you're just coming to church and going home, you're just being part of the crowd. And don't get me wrong, I'm glad. I'm glad you're coming. But I'm just telling you, you know, God wants the best for you. Frankly, I want the best for you. And the best for you means being a part, deeply a part of community here in this church. Okay, that's my first point. Okay? Throughout all of history, God has been working to create community. Okay? Here's my second point. And this, this kind of speaks to the issue of, well, what is going to be so different about this community? Okay, here it is. This community... This new community that God has been working to create that's called now, at this point in time, the local church. It is to relate to work and money, family and sex, and race and power differently than the rest of the world. This community, the local church, is to relate to work and money, family and sex, race and power differently than the rest of the world. I'm going to have to do this kind of quickly, so again, hang with me. Let's Let's start with work and money. Go back to verse 1 for just a moment so that we have a little context for verse 2. Here it is. Maintain justice and do what is right. Now skip down to verse 2. Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Very interesting that God equates justice and doing what is right with keeping the Sabbath. Now why does he do that? Well, Most of you, when you think about the Sabbath, you think about, well, it's a day of rest, a day of worship. It is that, but it's more. It's more than just time off, okay? It was also, God says that the Sabbath was also to be a reenactment of Israel's liberation from slavery. No one in a person's home was to do work on the Sabbath. No one. Which, of course, limited, right? It limits the amount of work that you can do. Limits how much money that you can make. It even limits your production, right? Because if you can't go out and work, you can't produce anything. Now, how is that liberation from slavery? Well, I want you to think about it. If you don't know how to walk away from work and money for the sake of your body, for the sake of your soul, for the sake of your family, for the sake of your friendships, you're a slave. You're a slave of somebody's system, and you're being exploited. You're exploited by the consumption and the production system of the culture in which we live. The culture comes to you, and the culture says, well, you must make this much money, you must own this much stuff if you want to be called successful, if you want to be somebody. And you might even give in to that yourself, willingly, but you're still being exploited. See, you're still a slave of the system. And in addition, understand that the Sabbath limited how much you could make your slaves work. So like nobody in your home, even your slaves, and by the way, when, when God says this, he's not, con- he's not condoning slavery. What he's doing is reducing uh, the way that people could exploit and treat slaves uh, from the way the other cultures treated them. So the the Sabbath limited how much you could make your slaves work. It required that they be allowed to rest so that you couldn't exploit those who are around you. Which means that you couldn't squeeze your employees. 
Like, you're supposed to be able to walk away from work, but you can't squeeze your employees to work when you're not working. He says the point is that the economic relationships, the work relationships inside this new community, if it's a choice between making profit in your body or your family or your soul or your friendships or your employees, God says, well, then you make less. If that's the choice, you make less. And so because of that, you don't have the breakdowns within this community that you have in the rest of the world. You see? You see how that works? People aren't being squeezed. People aren't being pressured to constantly keep producing more and more and more for the sake of more and more money. There's a limit to work and money. Okay, that's work and money. Now, let's look at family and sex. How, how, how does this speak to the issue of how people within this community are to relate to family and sex differently? Okay, notice what Isaiah says in verse 3. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say... The Lord will surely exclude me from his people, and let not any eunuch complain, uh, I am only a dry tree. I want to focus on the last part of verse 3 first. We'll come back to the first half in a moment, but here, here, let's, let's focus on the last part where he talks about a eunuch. In ancient Israel, according to God's law, castration was forbidden. The reason was that in the cultures around Israel, Their kings didn't trust anyone with their female family members or their harems. And so the way to move up into governmental uh, political power, the way to move up the ladder into the king's government was to be castrated. Right? That's just how a guy did it. If you wanted to move up in power, you you had to be castrated. Now that's, that's an enormous price to pay for power, but what you see is that by doing that, this was a person who was choosing career over having a family. And God was saying to Israel, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to make an idol of individual status and success and power over family. Which, so when God says that, it's a, it's a critique of how many people live today, right, who choose career and success and money and stuff over family. That's a critique of contemporary culture. But I want you to also notice that it's, it's, a, it's a critique of traditional culture as well. Uh, watch this. If a eunuch, who of course would have been a foreigner, that's why he starts with the foreigner uh, here in verse 3. If a eunuch wanted to be a part of Israel, God in his mercy didn't want them to be excluded. And so he says in verse 4, For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. Now that's a pretty radical critique as well of any culture that makes an idol out of families. There are cultures today that make idols out of families. In fact, in this culture, there are people who make idols out of families. God has the audacity to say... I will give you a name. I will give you meaning. I will give you significance apart from family. And here's what I want you to hear. For those of you who are single, uh, for those of you as well who are women, do you realize that the difference between Christianity and traditional religions is that Christianity uh, legitimizes singleness and legitimizes women apart from having families? Christianity does that. Other, tradition, other religions do not do that. Christianity does. And men and women, both, I want you to see that Christianity legitimizes you as a person 
apart from your career. God says, I'll give you a name. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll give you meaning and significance apart from having a career. Okay? So this is a radical critique of both traditional and individualistic cultures. Very different community that God is forming as it relates to work and money and then family and sex. And then finally, race and power. Race and power. Notice uh, the first part of verse verse 3 again. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Now, here, Isaiah is looking ahead to, to this stage, the church stage, of God's new community. Remember, at first the new community God was forming was just through Abraham's family. Then it was just through the nation of Israel. Now Isaiah is saying that the people of God, which is us, is going to have to bring down all racial barriers because all nations can become a part of this community. After Jesus is crucified and after he's resurrected, the last thing he says to his disciples, some of you would know this, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of, anybody that knows it, say it, all nations, all nations. See, this is what Isaiah was referring to. And you know, when when the disciples go out, the first person who comes to believe in Christ is, guess what? We saw it last week. He's a eunuch and a foreigner. And then when Paul launches the, the church in Philippi, he goes first to Lydia, a businesswoman, a professional. And then he saves this, this slave girl who is demon-possessed. And then he brings to faith a Gentile, the Philippian jailer. There was a prayer that goes way back. It was said by Jewish men every morning, even during the time of Jesus. And it went like this. O Lord, I thank thee that I am not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. And what's interesting is that those are the first three kinds of converts that God made. This is God saying to us through the prophet Isaiah that the new community, the church, must be committed to power sharing and relationship building between groups of people and classes of people and races and sexes that the rest of the world just can't seem to accomplish. Now, do you see that this is all about community? Can you see that? That this whole passage, it's all about community. And do you see how how different this community is supposed to be than the rest of the world? This isn't about you coming to church and going home as an individual. This is how you are to relate to other people within this community, okay? This isn't, you know, here the chauvinist learns to treat women with honor and dignity in the local church. The racist learns to love the Middle Eastern person, the Indian, the African American, in the context of the local church. Upper management people learn to treat blue-collar people with dignity and honor. The West Sider learns to love the East Sider and the other way around in the context of the local church. And Indiana people learn to love Kentucky people inside the context of the local church. I know that's extreme and I know that will require supernatural uh, effort, but it's true. And you see, you can't learn to practice this stuff as an individual. You can't. 
You have to be in community to do this. And oh my, what a different community this is that God wants to create, isn't it? So different than what happens out there, isn't it? Okay, last point, and then we'll close. The basis for this new community is the cross of Christ. You probably guessed that. The basis for this new community is the cross of Christ. Now look again at what Isaiah says in verse 5 to the eunuch. He says, To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. What does it mean to have a name? Well, we talked about it last week. People who are trying to make a name for themselves are struggling with the reason for their existence. They're, they're struggling with meaninglessness. They're struggling with insignificance. Because everybody wants to count. But think about this. If, if you talk to many people in the field of science or in the field of philosophy, what you will hear is that you know, there is no meaning because we're just a collision of molecules. We're, we're just an accident. The French writer and uh, philosopher Voltaire once famously said this, that we are just tormented atoms in a, in a bed of mud. That's it. And so if that's true, then whether you live a violent, cruel life or an incredibly loving and sacrificial life, it doesn't make any difference in the end if that's true. Everything will be forgotten. You're just a wave upon the sand. You're utterly insignificant if that's true. But what if they're wrong? What if this world isn't all there is? God says through the prophet Isaiah, he says, I will give them a name better than sons and daughters. In other words, a significance, a meaning in this life. Apart from having a family, apart from having children. How does he do that? Well, I want you to look at the second part of verse 5. And this is where I said that the irony has actual, uh, real practical significance. He says, I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. Not only is there irony there, but this phrase cut off is not an accidental term. The phrase to be cut off was used often throughout Scripture. And it was referring to the curse of sin. To be cut off from people, to be cut off from God, was the very curse of sin, death. It's very simple. Sin is selfishness. Sin is self-centeredness. And self-centeredness always isolate you isolates you. What's the most cruel form of punishment that a prisoner will ever experience? Solitary confinement. Because it makes you go insane. That's what isolation does to people. We need human community. We cannot bear the curse of sin. We can't bear the natural punishment that comes from our self-centeredness. But here's the good news. We don't have to. I want you to listen to this. Isaiah chapter 53 Isaiah's very well-known prophecy about Jesus Christ. He says this, By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. Did you notice that Jesus wasn't just cut into? It says that he was cut off. As he says on the cross, as he's hanging there, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
In that moment, Jesus Christ was cut off from the relationship with his Father and with the Holy Spirit, the community that he had lived in and dwelled in and known and existed in from the very beginning of time. That is isolation at a level that none of us have ever experienced. And he experienced it so that you would never have to. He was cut off so that you would never have to be cut off. And if you understand that, do you realize what that means? It means that your name, your identity, is built upon someone who was excluded for you, who was cast out for you, who loved his enemies, who hung him on the cross. How then could you possibly not accept or love someone? How could you not love someone who is different? How could you not love someone of another race? How could you not love someone of another sex? How could you not love someone who is different from you, who's cast out from the majority, who's excluded from other social groups? That's the basis, the cross of Christ for this new community that the world so desperately needs, that you so desperately need. And it gets even better. After his death, he was raised again and he was ascended into heaven. And he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within those who believe in him to empower them to live in justice and peace and love. This is what the Bible means when it says that Christ is in you. The very spirit that empowered Jesus Christ is now in you. The very spirit that raised him from the dead is now in you. The very spirit that caused him to love his enemies as he hung on a cross, that spirit is in you. Do you understand what all of this means? It means that if you believe in Jesus Christ, it's not just about you. You can't keep being an individual me. You have to become part of the collective, the collective we around here, or you're distorting and even perverting the idea for which you were saved. This is why every church that you would attend in Evansville or any other place around the world has some way of building community. And there are many ways to build community, but every church is doing it because of what we've talked about today. It's what salvation is about. Our primary way here at City Church of building community right now is through our City Life Group ministry. These are groups of people that meet in homes. My group, we meet on every other Tuesday night. Some groups meet on other nights of the week. And the intent in those City Life Groups is to build community. To learn to love people who are different than you. People who aren't normal. My group has to learn to love me. I am not normal. And they will find that out very, very quickly. Okay? The intent is to build communities. And I would challenge all of you to get into a city life group. There's information about it in the, in the program that you were given this morning when you came in. And then when we move to our new building, there are going to be other ways to get into community here. There are going to be support groups and recovery groups. There are going to be women's ministry groups. There are going to be men's groups as time goes by. It's in all of those contexts contexts that you will experience transformation. Not by going home, not by coming here and listening and then going home, but by becoming a part of community. Christ died for you. So that you could become part of a new, reconstituted humanity called the local church. Would you please bow with me for prayer? Forgive us, Lord Jesus Christ, for perverting what salvation 
was always intended to be about. We have turned it into an individualistic thing. We have neglected the very reason that you save people, and that is to make them part of a new community, to heal relationships. For us as a local church to be a preview to the rest of the world about what life someday in the future will be like when God heals the earth and heals all relationships. Perfect. We confess and admit that as a church and as the church over uh, throughout history, that we have fallen very far short of the unity that we are to live in. Even though you've given us the power to live in unity, we have still fallen very short because we fall back so often to this idea about it's all about me. Lord Jesus Christ, would you forgive us? Lord Jesus Christ, would you cause City Church to be a church that lives in unity? Not perfect unity, we're not perfect but that we would be a church that lives in unity, that we would recognize that it's about the collective we, not just about me personally. And Lord, I pray that would be true for the next hundred years if you tarry, that that would be true of City Church. Thank you that you care about us. Thank you that you care about our relationships. Thank you for what you did on the cross for every one of us, Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.